Our scripture today is Genesis 16, 1 through 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked at me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing, for she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahairoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of the son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when, Ish when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Katie. Um, my name's Tim. If we haven't met yet, I have the joy of being able to be pastor here. Um, Last week, so this is the first time I've preached in three weeks. Uh, last week, uh, JP, Jonathan Philgreen, preached. Uh, the week before, T-Ball, Tanner Ball, testing out nicknames. They both, uh, they, they both uh, preached and did such a great job on Genesis 14 and 15. And just grateful for them. And a quick reminder of last week, uh, this isn't me re-preaching uh, the sermon, but really making sure that it's in our mind as we go into Genesis 16. We're going, if you can't surmise, we're going through the book of Genesis. We believe in, in the Word of God, even the first book of the Bible being cutting edge for us, exactly what we need today. Feeling like it was like, man, is this hot off the press? And it's like, no, it's actually really, really, really old, and God, God wrote it in a way and used Moses to write it in a way to actually change us in the room this morning. And so last week, God starts by telling Abram, don't be afraid. Whenever he says that, <laughs> and we see this in Joshua chapter one, um, we've, we've preached a couple sermons in the life of our church on Joshua chapter one, it's because we would be freaked out if he doesn't tell us on the front end, don't be afraid. 
Uh, then Abram, after God says that, shares that he is concerned about how all of the promises that God's giving it to him don't feel like they're possible to actually happen. All of his promises seem connected to having a son. His wife has passed through menopause probably decades ago. It just seems highly unlikely in the category of impossible for God's promises to happen. And he's concerned about them. And I love how JP worded it in his sermon. He said, trust me, this is going to be awesome. Paraphrasing the chapter. Trust me, this is going to be awesome. Uh, it's, it feels like it's easy to do that when it's, a, when it's a situation that doesn't require any faith. But when you're in a situation which God puts us in these situations, more often than not, we're hanging with him. Even if he's telling you, trust me, this is going to be awesome, it, let's just say, does not come natural to us. You're going to have a son. Trust me, this is going to be awesome. Uh, then, if you remember last week, it, it kind of turned pretty gruesome. He actually entered into this bloody covenant. It's not the last time he'll do this. He entered into a bloody covenant where he actually tells Abram, cut all these animals in half. Put half the animal over here, half the animal over here, and this is a cultural way they did it back then, is then both parties who are going to keep this covenant together walk together through these carcasses. And what the message is, is if I fail to keep my side of the agreement or you fail to keep your side of the agreement, um, basically, you could kill me. Like, it's like... That's serious, right? Like, it's like attaching the death penalty to a contract. It's nice to be competing with rain. Um, good for us in rural Iowa. Um, so what's fascinating about the end of Genesis 15 is God sets up this super serious contract and God walks through it by himself. So what he tells Abram is, if you find me not fulfilling what I am promising you, I give you permission to kill God. You're like, whoa, he just went serious. It's like, yes, that is how much God wants Abram to trust him. Trust me, this is going to be awesome. And you can kill me if you get to the end of your life and find that I did not keep my end of what I was promising you. So Genesis 15 is like the pinnacle of God saying that. Trust me. Genesis 16 is the pinnacle of Abram not trusting God. On the heels of that experience, look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant 
whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. I mean, every one of us should be like, no! Oh! Have you read your own story? Like, you were just there in chapter 15. So verse 1 is a fact. Like, Sarai has not had a child yet. And it, it is a fact. And it's talked about as a problem. The Bible doesn't ever say this is a problem. God doesn't ever be like, I would fulfill my part of the plan if you were able to. So, so this problem is standing, it seems, in the way of God being able to fulfill his promise. It's like, God, you could totally fulfill your promise if it wasn't for this one thing. And I think just a good question is like, is this a problem? It's, it's given to us like, you know, God might not be aware of this, but Sarai has not been able to have a child yet. This is a problem. It's like we need to, we need to have a meeting about this problem. And we need to come up with a solution in our meeting about this problem. It's fascinating that Sarai says it is God who is preventing her from having a child. Uh, we can't look too much into this because the scripture doesn't say, but maybe she thinks that God is for her husband, but not for her. Maybe she thinks God keeps coming to my husband and promising my husband all these promises. Um, maybe he's against me. We don't know. We know she wants a child. She's waited her whole life to have a child. She's now in her 70s, 80s. Everything seems impossible. And her solution is possible. You kind of look at your story, impossible, 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 impossible. Well, I can think of a possible thing. A woman is mentioned, Hagar. Hagar might be the solution to the problem. And when you hear that it's Hagar the Egyptian, like on the dashboard of your life, you should see all these red lights starting to flash. Like something is wrong with this plan, just with the word Egyptian. Because if you remember the last time that Abram just went for it, swung and missed badly, was when um, there was a famine and he took his wife and family to Egypt. And as they're going up to Egypt, you know, he, he works this deal with Sarai saying, hey, don't let anybody know that you're my wife. If you do, they'll kill me. Tell them that you're my sister. And that doesn't work out so well when Pharaoh wants to marry his sister. Uh, then God actually has to intervene and get them out of there. So the last time 
that Abram did something he should not have done was in Egypt. And it seems like potentially as God was kicking them out of Egypt through Pharaoh, they kind of pillaged the Egyptians. And it seems like Hagar was probably one of the people that got swept up in that and was sent back north with Abram. Um, So having an Egyptian being part of the plan for God's promises to be fulfilled should have at least been something they prayed about. They maybe should have at least like, like passed the ball to God and said like, hey, should we do this? And wait to get it back. Because the plan included Egypt and an Egyptian. And Abram doesn't do this. Abram had just in chapter 15 heard the voice of God. But now in 16, he's only listening to the voice of his wife. Now check out verse three. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. So 10 years of waiting. I don't know if you guys have ever like waited for 10 years for something, maybe more than 10 years. It's been 10 years since chapter 15. So that's worth pondering. It's worth chewing on. It's like, yes, it, it is what happens next in the Bible. Potentially, God didn't hear from Abram for 10 years. He had 10 years to to. to to think about God's promises, to be open to receiving God's promises every month, chewing on the promises of God and not seeing his promises come about. And Abram makes the worst decision. He makes an absolute wrong decision. What he should have done is actively and courageously waited. Waiting feels very passive, right? Like, what are you gonna do, Abram? Like, what are you gonna do? Uh, I'm gonna wait. No, no, you need to do something about this. Yes, waiting is what I'm doing about it. I am actively waiting. That is, like, it takes courage for Abram to keep waiting. It takes active intentionality for him to keep waiting. How much longer? It's been 10 years. I don't know. We're we're waiting here is what we do. 10 years wasn't too long for God to make it happen. God wasn't waiting for Abram to do something special. God wasn't waiting for Abram to start figuring it out. God had Abram in a holding pattern with, trust me, this is gonna be awesome. Trust me, this is gonna be awesome. Wait. And I just feel like that is a huge invitation to our community. Like, what if God, an amazing thing he does to grow each of us is to grow us in our ability to wait, to actively wait. Not talking about, yeah, let's just throw the Bible out the window and sit on the couch and just kind of lay around and just let him 
I guess just kind of whenever he wants to work, he'll like possess me or something. It's not, it, there's an active waiting where we're not taking things into our own hands to try to wield the promise of God to come about in our life. A, a major point for us this morning, I know this is very bad grammar, but I'm making this, I feel like it's good theology, bad grammar, is active, courageous, intimate, unpopular waiting is God's way for us. Active, courageous, intimate, unpopular waiting is God's way for us. It's a bunch of words, but Abram should have been active in his waiting. This is what we are actively doing about the problem we're waiting, and it takes a whole bunch of courage. God, would you give us courage to wait? It takes intimacy with God to be like, you know what, he's present he knows, he cares, he is good, we're waiting here. It takes intimacy with God and many times it's unpopular. Many people might be like, what you're waiting for will never come about. And you're like, well, I, I know the one I'm waiting on. Long roads of faith don't mean you're on the wrong road. Long roads of faith don't mean that you're on the wrong road. It's just long. 10 years is long, but the point here is faith in God's promises is less about the promise and more about the intimate relationship with God that, that faith invites us into. And would we be a people who have learned from the master intimate waiting? And there are other parts of scripture. Yes, we do take the hill together. We say charge together against darkness. But we would miss the message of Genesis 16 and what God has for us in Genesis 16 if we don't look for God to make us a waiting people, a patient people, intimately waiting on him for his promises to come about in our time which is his time. Now verse four. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong that's done to me be on you, Abram. I gave my servant to your embrace and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. It's not playing out the way, I think. It's going against the plan of the way this was gonna play out, which is obvious to us. It's hard to see in our own lives. Verse six, but Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power to do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. This is the man of faiths. Abram is given to us in scripture as the man of faith, his most faithless moment of his life, I believe. It will cause the most pain and the pain of this moment continues until even today. So much of Islam comes through this conception. There is so much pain that will happen until Jesus comes back connected to this man of faith's faithless moment. 
And it's hard to imagine that the same person who experienced chapter 15 got to see all God's power, hear so many promises towards him, God telling him that you can even kill God if he doesn't give him an heir. And Abram doesn't talk to God one time in this chapter. He doesn't ask God about his decision. Abram doesn't spend time waiting on God's answer about this particular solution. And even if it's a problem that needs a solution, he doesn't even seek God for that. Abram has agreed with the culture's way of figuring out how to solve this problem. The culture's way of having an heir, even if your wife isn't able to conceive a child. It was culturally agreeable to have multiple wives or to have a wife underneath you who is the servant of your wife. That was a culturally agreed upon thing that happened. So he has taken God's promises and mixed it with ungodly solutions. That's what we're observing happening here. Solutions of the day, and he has now married a second woman. He has slept with her. She conceives Sarai and Hagar predictably hate each other. Seems like we could have seen that a mile away, and, and it does happen. Abram has married Hagar, taken her as a wife, the passage says. But when Abram responds to Sarai in verse six, when he says, but Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. What he is saying here is that's your servant, not my wife. So we're told he took her as his wife and now he's pretending as if he never did that. Oh, Sarai, that's your servant. Do whatever you want to her. And uh, this is a, I think there's a lot of things we could go into in this very moment, but I think just a lesson for us to take to heart and grow wise from and be changed by is that faith is a continual relationship, not just a one-time belief. And the book of Genesis is just, you wouldn't have thought that that's kind of what the book of Genesis is about. You would think, oh, that's like what the book of Romans is about or Ephesians is about that, which, which they are. But from the get-go of God communicating who he is to people, Abraham doesn't mention God once in this chapter. Sarai and Hagar both mention God in this chapter, um, which is crazy after Genesis 15. And I just feel like we can be like this. You know, I think one of the reasons we can get frustrated with Abram is because we, we know that that runs through our veins as well. We can be like this. Many of us have had life-changing interactions with God. And I hear some of the craziest stories, too, of, of like people who, who you know, by their own confession, would be like, I haven't been in a church for 30 years. But when you start asking them about their life, they've had life-altering interactions with God. Many of them have have said like, oh man, I could tell you this crazy story. And, and so many of us, and maybe you'll have that life-changing moment today with God. But for many, he has met us in our darkest times. For others, he's met us at, at the top of the mountain. But then we tend to want to take it from there. Do it from there. And this massive point of the book of Genesis is that faith is a relationship 
yes, there needs to be a time when we put our faith in Jesus as our Savior. Scripture tells us at that time, our sin is taking, all of the penalty of our sin gets removed, it gets like deleted from our bank account. And all the righteousness that Jesus did on our behalf floods our account. And we walk as free people following him. We need to have that time. It's called being born again, salvation, being saved are all things that those words mean. And that's not the whole picture. The picture is an intimate walk with God. Abram should have been asking him, been like, God, this is so hard. It's been 10 years. It's been 10 years. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. God, would you give me the power to wait one more day? Would you, and just to see this intimate wrestling And we don't see it. What we see, though, and where we're taken to in this passage is verse 7. Hagar is off on her own. It says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, a servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. We, uh, I feel like in every story, like when I watch, my family just finished watching Lord of the Rings, and I just feel like it's like at times I want to be Gandalf at times, I want to be like the elves. At times, I kind of want to be like Samwise Gamgee. At times, I want to be like Frodo. But I kind of just like want to be the hero. <laughs> it's like whatever heroic scene is happening, that's where I want to think of myself, being the hero. And I think that, that that's okay. It's good for, I think there's a lot of good in that. Um, but very like infrequently would we, would we picture ourselves as Hagar. You know, like man, I, I really resonate with her. Um, I wonder, though, if today it would be helpful to do that. She's out in the desert. She's rejected by those that she had looked to for security. She's kicked out of the places that brought her significance for so long. It's probably hard leaving Egypt. We don't know her story. But she's not at home where she grew up with her family in Egypt we don't know her story, but we do know that probably, probably her being picked by Sarai, probably her becoming Abram's wife, probably felt like a really great thing happening in her life. Probably felt like kind of a promotion, uh, for lack of better words. And it's now turned into a nightmare. She has no chance of survival, it seems. She's out in the desert. Her life is being defined by bad choices of other people to her and her bad choices. Abram's bad actions, Sarai's anger and hurt that are spewed out all over her. And then Hagar's sinful pride against Sarai. Everyone is making bad choices. Choices that are made without God. Sinful actions by all parties. And then this crazy moment, God finds her. 
I love that, verse seven. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water. So we could look at Abram, we could look at Sarai, we could look at Hagar, and, look, and maybe try and look into their hearts for what's happening. I think it's very appropriate for us to look at the heart of the one who's finding her, who's going after her. Whenever you see the angel of the Lord in scripture, you have two options. It's an angel of the Lord, or it's Jesus. And we see both places in scripture where that happens both ways, okay? It's either an angel or it's Jesus who made the angels and us and this place and reign. And I believe this is Jesus mainly because of verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring. I think if this was an angel, the, the angel would have said, God will multiply your offspring. But because this is in the first person singular, that he is, it would be blasphemous actually, like an angel wouldn't say that. An angel would say, God is saying, unless if God is saying it, then, and so, and we know through the, the, what we're told about the Trinity is that of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Son is the one that we, ha- that we interact with like we're interacting with a person. Because even before he came here, he seems to have had that as part of kind of a way we interact with him. And so, so Hagar has found water in the wilderness. So she's found a well out in the middle of the desert. And this is, there are wells today. I've visited wells in this place out in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing green and there, you think there's no way to survive there. So she has found water in the wilderness. Uh, then she sees a man walking towards her, okay? Jesus is walking towards her. Jesus is walking towards a desperate woman at a well. You're like, I think I've heard this story before. Well, he does this much later in the New Testament. He goes towards a woman at a well who's in a desperate place. And she walks away, remember, saying, come, come, you gotta meet the guy who told me everything I ever did. And I, love, I think there's like an Iowa wave that like, I don't know what it is, but like I've gone on to property or something where like, I know that if that guy knows, like he knows me or he knows my dad and he might not know that I'm coming, but like if I kind of give that like, you know, there's a certain wave or something to let people know like, hey, I'm a friend, I'm coming to you like a friend. I don't know, like, I guess if you're an enemy and you give the wave, (laughs) you could get a little closer to the person, I guess, that you're getting ready to do something to. But I just see Jesus like walking towards her, because you think about it, she's in the middle of nowhere, probably feels really vulnerable, and here this man is walking towards her, and I just imagine him giving her like a little like, we're friends type wave as he approaches, and I love that he says, Hagar, servant of Sarai. So he lets her know he knows her. And then he says, you know, where have you come from and where are you going? Which he knows those things too. But he wants, her, wants to get her talking. Then he lavishes her with promises and tells her to return home. And I just think, 
looking into what he says, but even before we look into what he says, to know that Jesus sees you. This is kind of our last big point. Jesus sees you and pursues you no matter who you are or where you are. That is his thing. That is in him. We see it at the woman at the well and we see it at the first woman at the well, Hagar. That it's just in who he is. Verse 11, and the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you're pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. (laughs) You imagine like writing this on a birth card, you know, congratulations on your son. I hear he's going to be a wild donkey of a man that his hand is going to be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Congratulations. So he says that to her, and look at her response, verse 13. She called the name of the Lord, she doesn't even know his name, so she gives him a name. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, just like Jesus said she would. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Hagar is blown away that God sees her, that God moves towards her. She, she, she gives him a name. You are a God of seeing. And then she names the well that's probably been in existence for many, many, many hundreds of years. She gives the well a new name. This place is now called Bier Lahai Roy, which in English means the living one who sees me. This is the place of the living one who sees me. She doesn't even mention what he said about her son. (laughs) She's so consumed by the one who moved towards her. That's where the section ends, and that's how we're going to wrap up our time this morning. Active, courageous, intimate, unpopular waiting is God's way for us. We need to grow wise from Genesis 16. Faith is a continual relationship. It's not just a one-time thing. It needs to be a first time that starts a continual walk with him. Jesus has promised us way more than he promised Hagar. He has said more things to us, done more things for us, done more to move towards us. And please, if you're hearing a lot of this for the first time, keep coming back because we would be here for a really long time if we even try to get um, below the tip of the iceberg. Um, And we get to spend the rest of our lives feasting on the promises and realizing what it means to walk with Jesus. But know that Jesus sees you. He really does. The real you. He sees you. He is really pursuing you. No matter who you are or where you are. And we're going to get ready and do some baptisms in a little bit. We're going to worship him first because he's worthy of that. We'll worship him as people are being baptized outside, which I just realized we set up the baptismal outside. So we'll see. 
yeah, Gabe, you got this. We'll, we'll figure out other things. We'll, we'll, we'll go with it. It's okay. He's got us. Trust him. It's going to be awesome. Um, but would each of us walk out of here marveling at the living one who sees us? God, we, we just marvel that you are alive and you see us like you really do. You really care about us. We're waiting for you for so much and you've got us and it's gonna be awesome. And would we be able to lift up each other in the waiting? Those who you're calling to yourself even right now, Lord, would they just come home running? Those who you are needing and they are needing you to just breathe fresh life into their vision of where they're at, who they are, the way you see them. Would you breathe on us? Would you, would you open our eyes, letting us really know that you see us? And we just thank you for that. Thank you that you are the living one who sees us. Jesus, in your name, we give thanks. Amen. So uh, Jesus' idea for us to commune with him is this isn't the only thing. Like, we don't need to take communion every day to be like, well, I want to commune, commune with Jesus on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, but this is a special thing that believers do together, and this is Jesus' idea. And uh, so we have, we have bread, wine, juice, obey your conscience with, with one of those. Uh, this table is for those who have given their lives to Jesus. And if you're not sure if that's you, um, I would encourage you, this doesn't mean a lot to you right now. It will in the future. But I encourage you to talk with me or somebody else around you that you know, know the man and, uh, and then, Lord willing, maybe you could take communion uh, in 10 minutes after giving your life to him. Uh, but let's meet with him for a little bit. Let him do whatever he needs to do in us. Uh, then go ahead and come down the center and read, and Hannah will serve you. Just hold your hands out, and they'll give you the bread. And then, take, um, and then remain standing at your seats, and we'll take it together as family. So let's respond to him. <laughs>